Welcome, listeners, to FF Plus, a spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me tonight to talk about a trio of newly releasing films is my man, Coles Davis. Howdy, ladies and gentlemen. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm actually excited to get into some of these films, even with the um, one dud that's in this list. <laughs> the one dud. I might say there are a couple duds, so we shall get into this and talk through and figure out whether we recommend these or not. These are all three not necessarily straight to VOD. I I thought they were at first. One of them is actually coming to theaters first, which is a bit surprising, honestly. But none of these are major big name film releases. And uh, it's kind of fun to get a chance to watch some of these occasionally. And, you know, every once in a while you'll get a hit. I think one of these for both of us was a pleasant surprise for sure. So we're actually going to save that one to the end. (laughs) And so we can end this thing on a positive note. With that said, again, just to remind everyone, this is spoiler free. We are going to do our best to talk around any and everything that would give away a movie's plot. However, one or two of these have some very big twists to them, which we're going to mention the fact that that is a thing because we kind of have to, but we're not going to tell you what that is. So I guess that's your kind of update on what you can expect from us. With that said, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get started by talking about the biggest name film in this group, Antebellum. Antebellum is available now on VOD, so you can go rent it at your leisure if you so choose after hearing us talk about it. <laughs> it stars Janelle Monet, Eric Lang, Jenna Malone, Gabourey Sidibe, Kirsty Clemens, and it's written and directed by Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz. The synopsis... It's a successful author, Veronica Henley, finds herself trapped in a horrifying reality and must uncover the mind-bending mystery before it's too late. Okay, so that's very vague. I'm going to expand on that a bit. So this is a film that... Wow. I, I'm, I, this is hard. So it's a film that jumps back and forth between time. And I, and I think that we're going to have to kind of say that much. Um, we have some parts of this film that are very clearly depicting slavery time period on a plantation. We have some other parts of this film that depict some characters in a modern day setting. And the movie goes back and forth between these two settings to tell its horror story. The directors have been very upfront that they want this to be a major social commentary on the level of Jordan Peele's Get Out. The same producers are involved in this. And so the film is going for this extremely powerful message, I would say, about how white supremacy still exists today, and it's still a problem for strong black females, especially. And the way in which it does so is, it's a bit thrilling, to be honest. So for me, Coles, I actually enjoyed some of this film, I will say. And and I even sometimes I feel like I enjoyed the majority of this film. I think that it is gorgeously shot. However, it is also shot extremely overdramatically to the point where some of those gorgeous cinematography moments are actually 
a negative because of the way that they are held in slow motion or exaggerated to the point of just silliness. And the parts of this film that are especially in the modern day setting, I actually quite enjoyed. I thought that they did a good job of kind of making a message and making a point through the Janelle Monet's character and her strong author. When she's giving some speeches, she's talking about social justice. She's talking about uh, female empowerment, black female empowerment and the importance of black women in power, uh, powerful positions and such. And, and I really liked that. And I thought that Gabourey Sidibe um, of precious fame was phenomenal. She plays a character who almost feels like she's completely out of place in this movie, frankly, because she's hilarious. And she was so charming that I just wanted to be her friend. But there are other parts of this movie that once it gets around to its third act and it tries to make its point and it tries to land home with this get out style punch, this surprise that says, here's what we're trying to do. You didn't see it coming. I was like, yeah, I did see that coming from a mile away. And it really fell flat. And for me, I was a bit put off because I didn't think in the end that this movie had anything worth saying. It was depicting something that could maybe be true in some sense still today, but it didn't have a point in actually depicting this. And so it kind of made the violence that we see against black bodies and black females in specifics uh, in this movie really just frustrating for me. And I didn't enjoy watching that. And so I didn't have a great time with Annabellum. I think you even had a worse time. So how did it land for you, man? I usually try to stay away from using the word hate when it comes to any film, because I have to remember that many of these films are done by people who think they have a good interest and think that they have a story to tell. And there's a lot of hard work done. So I try to stay away from that word, but this film brought me close to the edge of using it. Um, it's, it's another slavery film that, really says the same thing that we constantly see in every film. Um, there's a weird obsession, a weird fetish for seeing black bodies being brutalized, beaten, raped, stabbed, and killed on screen. I mean, the opening moments of this film feature a slow motion shot of a woman running away from a man trying to capture and put a rope around her neck. It, it felt so exploited. It felt like they were trying to make it entertainment like like a grind 1970s grindhouse horror film it, it it really put me off in the beginning and then you get back to back to back to back to back scenes of either someone being called the n-word someone being verbally abused someone being physically abused or someone being killed just this constant trauma that's being thrown in your face and what what new is being said there i mean we all understand the horrors of slavery especially if you know anything about history and you've done your research so why do we continue to have these films that use slavery as a way to send a message? Um, it, it's getting very tiresome. Hollywood feels like that little kid that you take to someone's house and you tell them not to act up, but they keep touching stuff and you're telling them, hey, stop stop doing that. I really would want Hollywood to take that lesson and stop making these films. Um, for one, the get out the the flavor of having from the producers of get out and us was my first tip off usually a film when they put that tagline on top of the poster i get a very cautious and this one 
I mean, it didn't break away from that trend that I usually see. Um, the twist in the film, I mean, once you get to the, the third half of the film, you easily know what's coming. And the sad part about it is that it's played off so epically in the end where the filmmaker's like, see, we got you. But it's like, no, you didn't get me because logically I can take apart your little twist and show you why it's very silly and very comical. Um, Janelle Monet. I really thought from the trailer and the poster that, oh, this is going to be the heroine. This is going to be the new person that everybody looks to and sees as like a hero in the film. But she never gets any moments to do that. Whenever Janelle Monet is bad in the film, it's not her. It's usually the film that's surrounding her. Because we've seen her in films like Moonlight, where she does an amazing job in other TV shows. But in this film, she's not able to she's it's almost like she's in proverbial shackles like she's not really able to express who she fully is in the role mostly because of the writing is just terrible and like you, like you talked about with Gabernet, she is easily the best part of this film when she came on she brought a spunk she brought a lot of humor i mean she played the best best friend you could have <laughs> i mean someone who's right there to talk you through when you're going through something and then someone who's also tell you like hey you want to go party let's go drinks on me i mean perfect too bad that she's only like for 10 minutes of this film and then it gets back to going back to being bad again i mean the villains are very unmemorable i mean it's once again villains that are there just to say things and do things that make you hate them so much that you're kind of in glee for when they if they do end up getting dispatched towards the end of the film but that's not a real villain a real villain is interesting a real villain has layers a real villain has something memorable that they do or they say that you're constantly thinking about once the film is over but none of these none of these villains have it and the music is very very like um overbearing especially in the ending you know the slow motion shots i mean it's a beautiful film it's a very beautiful film but this is the case of putting makeup on a pig like you <laughs> I can love that. Put it makeup on a pig. You can put some red bottoms. You can put on some Chanel <laughs> on it. But at the end of the day, it's still a pig. And Antebellum is that pig. I mean, <laughs> it's it's one of the biggest disappointments of 2020 for me. And the trailers had me fooled. I mean, fool me, fool me once, shame on me. But I'm not gonna allow myself to get fooled by a movie like this again. Yeah, I I, I can't really say anything better than that. I will add, I, I agree with you wholly on the villain thing. They are so mustache twirly in this movie that, like you said, you just can't take them seriously. And the problem is you have to be one or the other when you're a movie. And if you're going to go with the mustache twirling villains and this over-the-top exaggerated sort of storyline, then you need to lean into that. And you need to go to that grindhouse or crazy-like type of thing. But you can't then try to bring it back and be like, hey, we've got a great social commentary point to make. And this needs going to change your life and the way that you see race in America. No, it's not because you had zero nuance and you didn't actually earn that in any way, shape or form. And so I actually enjoyed Jenna Malone. And I, and I say enjoyed, but I use that word I, last time that you and I were together. We talked about the devil all the time. And I had the same problem saying the word enjoy. I didn't. Like, I wasn't happy watching Jenna Malone's character because she's very racist and she's awful, but she does a really good job of being mustache twirly awful, I guess. So I, that's a slight good thing within the badness, but it's a bad thing to begin with that she's even there doing it. So kind of washes itself out. But yeah, I think your example is perfect. It's makeup on a pig. We're just going to leave it at that. I, I wouldn't recommend people watch this. There's much better films. You wouldn't recommend people watch this even more than 
I wouldn't recommend it. So I do think, and I guess almost somewhat fear, I that general audiences are going to watch this and not hate it and think it's okay, which concerns me a bit because I'm afraid that that could trigger the idea that it is of value and that they should keep making movies like this. But hopefully the critical response will offset that enough to say no. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the um, example of um, Green Book. You know, I know that you're a big fan of Green Book, and I'm not taking away from that. I wasn't too much of a big fan, but the success of Green Book allowed for a film like The Best of Enemies to come out, and we all know how that turned out to be. So I am very worried about the general reception, but I do know that this film is going to hit good for a lot of people in the audience, especially the younger crowd. You know, I've already seen people talk about, oh, Janelle Monet is defeating white saviorism. It's awesome. And I was like, yeah, but you're not fully understanding that it doesn't have, it's not that subtle enough. Don't, you're giving it too much credit for it being complex when it isn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not. So avoid this one. Folks, if you have opportunity, there's plenty of better movies out there to see. The second one we're going to talk about is another indie film. Well, not another, but is an indie film called The Nest. And this was a hit coming out of the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year, uh, put out by IFC. It's available in select theaters now, and it will be on video on demand November 17th, if you can remember two months from now that that's going to happen. It stars Jude Law, Carrie Coon, and Anne Reed. It is written and directed by Sean Durkin. And I didn't write down the name of it, but he should be known by folks who watch a lot of indie movies uh, by his previous film, Marlene, Martha, why don't I remember the name of it? Coles, save me from my... I'm going to Google it. Sorry, folks. You're just going to have to deal with this while I uh, <laughs> click, click, click. Uh, it's... Martha Marcy May Marlene. A it's mouthful. It is a mouthful. And it, it's a really good film. I quite enjoy it. I think it's got a phenomenal performance. And so I was pretty excited going into this one because of that. I thought you know, Sean Durgan had proven himself before. The synopsis for this film, life for an entrepreneur and his American family begin to take a twisted turn after moving into an English country manor. So said entrepreneur is played by Jude Law. He's an English businessmen of some sort i think he's dealing in stocks commodities so it's pretty vague honestly throughout the film what he's doing it's just made very clear that he is all about making money that is his goal money and status and his american family eventually not eventually but pretty early in the film rather he convinces them to move back to this english country manor to where he can be a part of one of his old mentors companies and try and turn around their life. He's been not having a good go of it in America. Apparently the family has had some frustration and tension between them. They had moved back to America in order to be near his wife's family. She teaches horse riding. I believe she's big into horses. They have a horse kind of plays into her view of the world. And there's two kids a teenage daughter who's kind of in probably, I don't know, early high school-ish age, and then maybe a middle school-ish aged teenage son. For me, Coles, this did not hit at all. I was bored to tears. I wanted to go to sleep. I wanted it to be over. I wanted to end it. 
early because I couldn't stand it. And I kept going and I watched the whole thing because the performances by Jude Law and Carrie Coon, especially um, her more than Jude Law even were really, really great. It's a movie about a couple who is just experiencing this deterioration of their marriage. I did not feel that in the end that there was any point in this. It felt to me like a couple who I never was able to root for in the beginning because I didn't feel like they actually had any love for each other to start with. And so watching them fall apart didn't have much of an effect on me. It's a really pretty film, like a lot of indie movies. It's got a really great score. I want to say the score is by the frontman or one of the band members for Arcade Fire. It's actually beautiful. I, I really enjoy the music a lot. And it's picturesque in this English countryside, but it, it was a slog for me. And I did not connect with the characters in a way that if you're going to put me into this drama that I need to. The film is billed as a thriller. That was another problem for me is going into it. I was expecting something, quote unquote, thrilling. I kept waiting for something weird to happen at the house, like the house was going to turn into a horror or something. And none of that ever occurs. It's really just seriously a familial drama. And that's it. And it just did not work for me at all. Um, and so, yeah, not a big recommend from me. But what do you think, man? So I'm going to agree with you on the slow burn style of it. Um, I could feel it through the first 30 or 40 minutes that it's going to be one of those type of films. Um, nothing really exciting is really going to happen. You kind of just have to buy in to these performances and to the, the dark and kind of like a, a mellow mood of it. Like there's a simmering tension underneath. And there are sometimes it wants to tease you with horror, but it never really builds on that, which I did find kind of surprising. I was like, when I saw the poster, I felt that something was going to go wrong with this family. Like, there was going to be some type of horror element, but it never comes together. Um, Jude Law and Carrie Khan are really great in this. Um, I felt that Carrie Khan was the big star of the film for me. I mean, any scene where there's a conflict with her, Jude Law, I mean, she really eats up the screen. And Jude is great as well, but Carrie just really strikes it like lightning. I mean, she's she's very spunky. She has moments where, you know, you understand that she's being kind of, you know, of a, of annoyance to Jula's character, but you can kind of understand where she's coming from. I mean, she's in a relationship with this guy who's pretending to be something he's not. And I felt that the lack of identity and the gradual deterioration of the trust and, co and communication between these two was a big driving force. And I can get behind those kind of stories. I, now, I will say that it's not going to be for everybody. I mean, when I say it's a slow, slow burn, I really do mean that. I mean, the, the cinematography is great. The score is beautiful. I really love the piano and the bass instrumentation. Very nice. Reminded me of like a jazz club. And towards the end of the film, I felt that things were starting to get a little bit better pacing-wise. Um, the first and second half are very, very slow. Very hard to get through, but the third half does add some excitement, and then it kind of ends on a whimper, if I could say so. For me, it's decent. I mean, it's a decent film. I mean, if you're into slow burn, if you're into seeing, like, family relationships and how, like, you know, conflict between the parents hurts children, you know, if you're, in, if you're into that kind of thing, this film will do it for you, but 
generally and for entertainment purposes, it's not really an entertaining film, but I can appreciate what it does as far as the acting and the direction. Yep. I'm right there with you. I can respect some of the filmmaking aspects of it. I would never recommend watching it, and there's no way I would ever sit through it again. And I can sum it up really easily. It's basically a movie that says if you're the patriarch of a family and your your primary goal in life is to chase prosperity, wealth, and status at the cost of ignoring your family, that's bad. Okay? Saved you two hours. You're welcome. Saving the best for last. Our third film is called Cajillionaire. This is available in select theaters on September 25th. It stars Evan Rachel Wood, Mark Ivaner, Gina Rodriguez, Deborah Winger, and Richard Jenkins. It is written and directed by, I think, a comedian. I think she's a comedian, Miranda July, or former comedian. She has a comedy background. Synopsis, two con artists have spent 26 years training their only daughter to swindle, scam, and steal at every turn. During a desperate and hastily conceived heist, they charm a stranger into joining them, only to have their entire world turned upside down. This is a movie that I had zero interest in. It looked like a comedy, an indie comedy, and a movie that I probably would just just not resonate with at all. I was going to skip it. I was not going to check it out at all. And then several of our fellow Seattle Film Critics Society critics actually kept talking about how great it was and recommending it. And so I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. We'll see. And here we go. It ends up being the best of these three pretty much by a mile, in my opinion. I'm going to let you go first on this one. What did you think about this film? This was a very great film. Um, The comparisons to Parasite are very apt for this film. I feel that it's not as pristine, it's not as direct and just transcendent like Parasite, but it gets the job done. I mean, it doubles as a drama where we're following this family. They're a struggling family, and they're just struggling to even make the rent. And so they're doing these scams, and you understand that they're doing stuff that will make them a criminal, but you can also understand the desperation, the struggle that they're going through. It says a lot about the growing um, economic inequality in the United States and how hard it is for people just to get by. And the second is also a family drama. I mean, we follow Evan Rachel Wood. Her character's name is Old. Dolio or <laughs> Dolio, old Dolio. D- oh, Dolio. Yes. Um, and she's amazing in this role. I mean, the the way the job they did with her clothes and her makeup. I mean, she doesn't look, really look like Evan Rachel Wood. She just she looks a lot like she, more like Jason Mewes, to be honest, from <laughs> Clerks and <laughs> and Silent Bob and Jay fame. <laughs> yes, it reminds me of the job that um Spike Jones did with Cameron Diaz and being John Magovich, where you take, you know, the star that we're used to seeing her like glamorous and all, you kind of bring her down and just cover that up. I mean, she's great and she's like a daughter who's who's never really had a connection with her family. The whole film she's trying to search for that connection that her mother and dad mother and dad never gave her because they treated her like a partner in crime instead of an actual daughter. You know, they've never hugged her. You know, they've never like said the sweet sayings that we're used to hearing from our mothers and dads in happier times. She never gets that. So it's more of a film about a girl trying to find her way, trying to find somebody to connect to. And that's where Gina Rodriguez character comes in. And I have to say, this is the best that I've seen from Gina Rodriguez in a while. Um, she was 
good in Annihilation, one of my favorite science fiction films in the last decade. And I think that she brought a lot of good energy to this film. I really was dazzled by her. And at first I thought she was going to be a character that was just, that was there just to be a pretty face and not really have any autonomy, but she has all the autonomy. I mean, the second half of the film, she dominates it. Her and Evan Rachel are right there at the top. You know, picking out the is going to be the best one. I mean, the parents, both of them, they did very well. In their, and speaking of which, I mean, the twist at the end of this film, where we expect for, you know, something to happen, and then we just totally get the rug put up from off of us, was handled effectively. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's The comedy is good as well. I was laughing a lot of times with um, many of the good jokes and many of the dark elements of the comedy as far as scams and, you know, just the way that these these people are living in an abandoned office building and right next to a bubble making factory i mean it it's all works very well it's a very good very delightful surprise for me yeah it's very offbeat dark comedy like you said and it's for me it wasn't the kind of comedy that i found myself often laughing out loud over it was kind of that kind of comedy where i just had this constant slight chuckle under my breath it was kind of like hmm hmm ha hmm you know, like, oh, I see. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, and it was just it, it was really intriguing. I like the comparisons to Parasite and with its social commentary regarding economic class and such. It does have a little bit of that. But for me, you're right. I was right there with you on the Gina Rodriguez and Old Dolio relationship and the emotional aspects of this film. That's really what sucked me in and made me care about these characters. In a way, and again, comparing to like the movie we just talked about, The Nest, I cared about these characters. So even if I saw relationships deteriorating, it mattered to me. It made me sad for characters, made me feel for them, made me wish for reconciliation, and it made me want them to all be happy together, you know, because they each had qualities that are worthy of me finding them and having value, you know, and we got to see that from them. And we just get to see people that are broken, people that. You know, we get to see what it's like for people maybe to get into a routine and think that getting out of that routine is scarier or more dangerous than just doing the same thing over and over. And to the point of not even understanding what you may be doing to the person that you're raising as a child. And the movie's title actually plays into it in a really good way. Um, there's some good dialogue that talks about it, about what it means to be a cajillionaire the idea of who in society wants to be a cajillionaire and how that happens. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. I, the twist for me was hit or miss. It was the part of the film that kind of brought it down a little, not that, not the twist ending itself or the way in which the, the movie wraps up, I should say, but there's a portion that sort of definitely takes it in a bit of a surreal turn that I was not, fully like connected with in the moment and so i think it might be better on a rewatch for me because i'll know that's coming and i'll kind of understand what is happening during that part of the movie but yeah overall man it's just a, a really it's good it's well paced it's not too long doesn't overstay it's welcome you know if this was stretched out to two hours it would definitely be too much i think uh, but it, it doesn't do that and yeah, by the end, I, I was happy. I, I cried a little bit in this movie and I smiled a lot. I laughed. That's a good movie, you know, and I thought the performances are great. Richard Jenkins is phenomenal. 
he's the dad in this movie. Him, like you said, him and Deborah Winger, who plays the mom, both excellent. I mean, all the performances are just really great and I think really unique because they all are super duper quirky. If you don't like quirky offbeat comedies, I mean, I, well, I would say you're not going to like this, but then again, like I don't usually like them either, but here I am uh, being a big fan of this. So maybe you will, maybe it's worth taking that chance. Yeah, I know for me, comedies like this are very more missed than hit, but this one hit, and I'm very glad that it did. Absolutely, man. So definitely a yes on Kajillionaire from both of us, and okay, maybe if you had nothing else better to do on The Nest from us, and a general sense of avoid antebellum if you've got something better to do from me, and uh, avoid antebellum and burn it with fire at all costs from Coles. Looks like that is where we land. Before we leave, Kales, tell the people where they can find you on social media if they want to catch up with you. Um, you can find me on Facebook as Kales Davis, C-A-L-E-S-S. And then you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd as Black Nerd Magic. And you can also want to read some of my reviews. You can read some of the things I've done for FillingFilm.com, Victims and Villains. And also shout out to my people on the Filling Film Black Label. Yes, Black Label. There will be a new episode of that posting very soon, so keep an eye on your feed, or go look for it if you're listening to this later, after it was released a few days, because that Black Label episode's probably out already. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will be back soon with more reviews. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Phil, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.